This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an edge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, hello, my Labia loves. Welcome to another epic episode here in the lounge. I've invited Jessie Neeland in today. Is that how I pronounce it, actually? Is it Neeland or Neeland? Yeah, that was perfect. Okay, cool. Dope. Should have asked that before. (laughs) Anyway, Jessie's in the lounge today to speak about body image issues, self-worth, and body neutrality. And I'm really keen to get their expert advice on how we can go from places of low self-worth and super critical thinking about our bodies and appearance, self-consciousness, self-loathing, all of that, all of that nasty shit, um, and move towards more neutral and maybe even a loving and appreciative place. Um, So a little bit of a rundown on Jesse. Jesse is a coach, a writer, a teacher, and a speaker dedicated to helping people break free from body image issues through a unique process for accessing body neutrality and building a strong sense of authentic self-worth. And she really knows her shit. Like, I'm so excited and I know we're all in really great hands here when it comes to traversing the territory of body image because Jesse's approach with this work is really incredible. And, you know, like, uh, the more I kind of followed Jesse's work, Work and and read their content. It's like yeah, I'm just like oh far out. This is this is my kind of <laughs> go to now when it comes to body image stuff, and it is such a such an insidious and widespread um, and crazily common issue that faces you know we're all kind of facing. So yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you in the lounge, Jesse. Just grab yourself a click cushion, get comfy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Um, and I will mention, as you may have already noticed, listeners, I've um, I've flipped between using the pronouns they and she. That might happen because um, Jessie's just informed me that they 
Uh, yeah. It's non, would you say non-binary? Non-binary. Or where, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to be using uh, Jessie's fine with both pronouns, she or they or he sometimes. So I might be flipping between. So just don't get too confused or lost with that. I just wanted to give you all a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been, I've, I've been wanting to cover this topic for ages because it, it really has got to be like one of the most widespread um, issues that faces like fucking everyone, but definitely, yeah. you know, female bodied people in such a big way and having low mm-hmm. self-worth, hating your body, being super critical of your appearance. Like it's basically, unfortunately, it's basically the norm these days. It's almost just expected and, and practically, I guess, encouraged among like friendship circles, like just this self-deprecating, like self, um, just the putting down our ourself and our appearance. It's like small talk, you know, it's just so normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so damaging to live with. Like it affects our confidence and our sexual expression, our relationships, our self-love, everything, you know. And and I can honestly say yeah, about yeah. 90% of my clients that I speak to will all say without a doubt, like that they struggle with body image issues and that this impacts their sex lives and their ability to have healthy boundaries and, you know, the relationship that they have to themselves and, and also it affects Mm. their pleasure, you know? Um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to get stuck in. Um, and I guess as a first sort of spring off point, this, this might be an obvious one, but maybe some people might still need to hear it. And perhaps you even have some extra reasons or perspectives on it that we haven't thought of, but why do you feel we've all wound up in this place with such enormous issues with body image (laughs) and (laughs) self-worth? Huge question. Uh, That's a huge question. So God, why have we ended up there? It's so many reasons, and that's partly why it's so insidious. Is you know, I'll always say to my clients that body image issues show up to solve a problem, and so the work that I do with them to get I use body neutrality. Um, my methodology is moving people from body image suffering to body neutrality. Mm. So we are basically trying to figure out what problems their body image issues rose up to solve. Now, if you only had one of these, it might be pretty linear work. You know, you just sort of mm. figure that out, solve that problem more directly, boom. But most people have multiple causes because there are so many reasons that mm. we develop these things and it gets really complex and it's just sort of embedded. Um, you know, mm. some people learn like, just think about the objectification and sexualization of women, like that's a whole huge direction. And then outside of that, maybe you learned it was the only way you could get respect or um, connection or belonging. That's a whole whole other different directions. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the habits help you cope with pain and help you distract yourself from, you know, uh, shame or grief or something really painful underneath. Like that's a completely different direction. So there's so many causes and figuring out what those causes are and dealing with them individually is the work I do. So really there is no one answer, but totally. it they serve a lot of purposes, mm. unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. And I'm I'm really um I'm so in love with this body image avatar um, framework that you've got, which I'm going to get into more later because um, it is really cool looking at like the underlying things. Um, I guess mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was like, I was writing that question down. And I was like, oh God, what a bitch I am. This is such a massive, <laughs> I mean, where do I start? Like patriarchy, the media, mm-hmm. like yeah, you know, there's just, um, 
it's coming at us from all fucking angles before we're born. You know, there's like yeah. ancestral shit, there's intergenerational shit. Then as soon as we come out of the womb, it's just like, yeah. oh my God, we can't escape, you know, all of the it's different influences like telling us that we should look a certain way or we're not worthy or lovable unless we do. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. yeah, which is why it's so great that there's someone like you who just really gets into the complexities and the nuances of it. Like it's not as simple as like, oh, girl, just like love yourself. Like your body does like such a good <laughs> exactly. job. Like love your legs for walking you around and love your breasts for like, you know, being life-giving organs and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. Cool. like I get that theoretically and stuff, but I'm completely brainwashed from a young yeah. age to hate everything about my body and want to yeah. change everything. You know, um, yeah. yeah, so I notice, um, I really like that you use the term body neutrality in your work a lot, which, yeah, I yeah. love it because I feel like your approach goes so much deeper and attacks the issues around body image really holistically. And it just, yeah, like I was saying, mm-hmm. it moves us away from just trying to find fresh ways to feel like a hottie and get us looking yeah. at the underlying shit. So for those who aren't familiar with your philosophy towards all this work, what does body neutrality refer to and why do you prefer to aim for this rather than saying like body love or feeling beautiful and sexy? Right. Oh my God. Well, why don't I focus on feeling beautiful and sexy is because that still focuses on appearance. It still centers the importance mm. of attractiveness, mm-hmm. of, uh, which essentially is the ex- um, experience of other people looking at you and liking what they see, you know? Mm. So that just right away, we can slash that out. That's because it, feeling like we owe other people a positive experience of looking at us is at the heart of a lot of body image issues. So mm. um, saying oh, don't worry, you're already giving people a positive experience of looking at you as like sort of maddeningly the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of why, why neutrality and what it is, uh, I use a different definition at this point than other people who I have heard using it when I first heard about it. Um, I basically just thought of it as like not caring about your body, like having a you know, a neutral relationship with it. Like, like it is what it is, whatever. Um, but it's definitely developed in my my methodology, which right now I'm writing a book on and like will be out in the world a year from now, um, is coming into light as like essentially stripping away the blocks because body neutrality is our natural state. It's the relationship of just being able to see clearly without added layers of significance and meaning. So Nobody was born being like, you know what? I like smaller bodies better than bigger bodies. Like that was something that we learned. Oh, smaller bodies mean you're good, bad. Uh, Bigger bodies mean you're bad, right? Mm. So what I do is I approach all of these blocks to neutrality, which is our natural state, and we dismantle them one by one. And some of them are deeply emotional. Some of them are subconscious. Some of them are are explicit like that one, you know? Mm. Um, People say, but doesn't a big body just mean you're bad? Like, Nope, that one's explicit. Let's break that one down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many. And like I said, there's different purposes that the the behaviors and the suffering itself can also serve that get in the way. So basically what we're always trying to do is return to a place where you can look at your body and you can maybe have a preference to look different because preferences are fine, but not be distressed, not be... Mm. Yeah, there, it doesn't have any power of you. And I always think mm. like best 
sort of analogy for this would be having a big pimple on your forehead. Like you would prefer it not be there and that's totally fine. But if it doesn't ruin your life, if it doesn't change how you live that day, then you had a neutral relationship with that pimple. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going for. You know, maybe you'd rather look like a supermodel if you could wave a magic wand, but you look like you and it doesn't impact you in any kind of negative way. Mm, yeah. And like erode your self-worth or, you know, the way that you feel right. about yourself and how valuable you, you are as a human. A, yeah. Because you've detached those things because mm. you've separated them. So you can say, I am me. I have worth. Unrelatedly, I have this body. Mm. Yeah, I love I love that. I like that you you talk about how it's actually okay to not love the way you look and that this isn't like you failing at, fe- at feminism or like body positive right. culture and stuff. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's about it's about like the behaviors or actions that you take because of this that are important to look at and um yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know, describing body image challenges as like body image suffering and then going from the suffering like that that being attached to yeah the feelings that come from the way that you feel about how you look um that's the bit that's unnecessary and that is causing the suffering um i love you use this term (laughs) grouchy acceptance um so i'd love to hear you like talk a little bit on this like are we being unrealistic to hope for a full transformation (laughs) of how we feel about our bodies like you know can a bit of grouchy acceptance Mm. still be okay So the reason that I was so drawn to body neutrality in the first place, like before I got into any of the methodology and and the view I have now, I was just really into the idea that it felt manageable. It felt accessible to a lot of my clients. Like it felt like relief Mm. to tell a client, I'm going to help you learn to love your body feels like lying because it's so complicated. It takes so long. They don't believe it. They end up feeling worse about themselves a lot of the times because then they're like, well, I'm still really freaking far from that. Mm. Um, And so to say, how about we make the goal just to feel kind of (laughs) meh and that's it. And all of a sudden their their bodies relax, you know, and they're like, oh, well, I could maybe get there. You know, it just feels more accessible. Mm -hmm. Grouchy acceptance takes it even a step closer and says, how about we just strip away like the big suffering, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe you look in the mirror and you roll your eyes and you like you know, are mildly irritated, but you move on with your day and it didn't have power over you. I'm going to take that as a win because for a lot of people, they're so far from that right now that that actually is a a total transformation. Mm. And maybe that's the resting point before they continue on and, and move forwards to something different. Or maybe that's the end goal because, you know, I work with people who have been like hating, hating their bodies for decades And the thought that we could just somehow turn that around into, I love my body. Like it's just not realistic for a lot of people. So grouchy acceptance is a way of normalizing the fact that after you've spent such a negative, long stretch of time with your body, sometimes the best we get is like lightly negative, but without power. Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've seriously got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in, and there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and valuable content, thought-provoking conversations, and just general support from a community of labial legends. It's a safe, non-judgmental space where you can go to ask the questions 
questions that you can't ask anywhere else, seek advice or solidarity from other like-minded folk, tell stories that are usually too much for the average conversation, and also play a role in shaping the podcast with your input. So through this group, you can submit stories that you'd like me to read out for the TMI, Sand in My Clam, and Get Pregnant and Die segments. Um, and as well, you know, you can send in questions or topics that you would like covered on the potty. I'm always open to suggestions and input and you never know, you might hear your story on an episode. So my vision for the group is that it becomes a really rewarding, supportive, educational and hilarious resource for you to access and be a part of. So head over to the link in the show notes or just search up the Labia Lounge group on the old facey and I hope I see you in there. And now, back to the episode. Mm-mm. Wow. It's so, it's so, uh, it's so not as like glamorous and attractive as this, like, oh my God, I'm going to teach you to love your body. But it, it is like so much more. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like so much more powerful because like if someone, I don't know, I just, I just like get snake oil alarm bells ringing if someone's making these crazy claims that they're going to help me mm-hmm. like, do this thing. And I'm just like, um, bitch, come on now. Like, don't be ridiculous. I know myself. I know yeah. my entire life experience to this point. I am not like that. That is not even achievable for me. And what's actually going to happen is I'm going to end up mm-hmm. feeling like more of a failure and a piece of shit because it's not working for me like this, the whole, you know, you know, your approach to transforming my sort of thinking about my body is like already, it's like dead in the water. I you know, I feel like if you just look at that and it just seems so unrealistic and unachievable and laughable, then you're not going to have a whole lot of respect. Like that, that practitioner is not going to have much credibility. That whole approach isn't going to feel you know, like it even works, but it is like, you know, just baby steps and, and really achievable, manageable, realistic. Yeah. Like phases. And then, and it's an improvement. Anything's an improvement, you know, it's a huge improvement. And also, I mean, like you'd kind of have to be like an enlightened Buddhist monk in some ways to really get to pure acceptance of something that freaking sucks, you know? Um, and I, don't expect most of my clients to devote themselves to, you know, that kind of practice. So instead, we have to say like, uh, for example, bloating, like I used to get really bad, uh, like used to get, I've, I've always had pretty <laughs> bad belly bloating. And I used to have an extremely negative experience about it because not only does it feel uncomfortable, but it, in, in my mind, it looked really bad and mm. I would just spiral out and the stress of it would make it worse. It would make it last longer and be more uncomfortable. And I would just be like, I look gross today. I shouldn't have eaten that. Like I'm bad. You know, it came with all these stories and all this stuff, right? It was a terrible experience of being in my body. Now, am I expected to get to a place where I love being bloated? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, in fact, even just being purely, purely neutral on that topic is unlikely because it's it's a rather unpleasant experience. But what I can do is strip away all the stuff that says it means anything about me, all the stuff that says there's a better way to be or you know that I made a mistake, any of those things. And so now I can just focus on the mild discomfort of a bloated belly. And, that's, and it's the same as looking in the mirror with a pimple and saying, that's annoying, mm. right? There's just this like, light irritation or light discomfort, but it's just for the thing itself. It's not about what it means. It doesn't spiral. There's no stories that just collide into each other and make it a horrible experience. 
Mm, yeah, totally. I love that. It's um, as you're speaking, I'm like, wow, I think I, I think somewhere along the way, I'm not really sure how I've done a lot of different personal development work and modalities, but somewhere <laughs> along the way I went from a lot of body suffering and pretty much finding something that I hated and was really bothered by about like every single part of my body um, yeah. to being, yeah, very neutral. And then from that neutral place as like my default, it's way easier to just then have moments of like, oh, damn, I'm fine and like yes that it was too but it's too big of a leap there was so much self-loathing and criticism and judgment of my body and then what that you know all of what I was attaching to those feelings and that perception and now it's like so much easier to have like a good day or you know just I don't know Mm -hmm. every now and then be like oh yes um yeah yeah that's that's really cool that's so true so grounded (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whole approach like it's so it's so refreshing i feel like sometimes as i do this work i'm like this is so reasonable <laughs> yeah that and that's the best bit about it i feel like yeah the more we talk about it the more i'm like what of course this is the only way to go about this mm-hmm. stuff i mean how can we expect people it's kind of like you know i can compare it with to my work where, you know, someone might come in and be like, I've never had an orgasm. I I can't, um, I can't orgasm. I like, you know, I hate my body. I'm self-conscious. I can't communicate my needs. I have no healthy boundaries. I had the sexual abuse history, like this huge amount of, you know, different factors are coming in and it's never going to be like, oh, okay, sweet. Like, we'll just like get you having an orgasm, you know, in no time. And just do these like three steps. Like it's not, it's so much more complex. And so you've just got to like slowly, slowly, slowly start to work on the underlying factors that are, you know, making it a pretty, um, pretty non-conducive sort of foundation to have an orgasm, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm all about those like really achievable little steps and I could give them like a whole heap of homework. They could, they could basically, you know, if they wanted to fast track it, dedicate their lives to like meditating in a cave and masturbating like every <laughs> right, exactly. you know, hour. And, you know, maybe that would, that would make a big difference, but like, you've got to live your day to day life. You've still got, yeah. you know, potentially a family or a partner and a job and like mm-hmm. all of this stuff going on. So it's like, you know, it's so, even though I might have all of these tools and all this knowledge and all these resources, I could just like dump on them and be like, cool, like do all of this stuff and it will, you will just be killing it. I know that they're not going to do all of that stuff. It's not possible. And then they're going to feel so, so crappy about themselves for like failing at doing the homework I set them. So I'm like, all right, what, like, what's your schedule? Like, how much time can you dedicate to this? What are your habits like? You know, how can we like work in a couple of little things in your, in your sort of day to day life that are going to be manageable that you're not going to, you know, fall off the wagon and then beat yourself up and then give up forever, you know? (laughs) Yep. Totally. Yeah. Cool. So, it's, it's, yeah, it's a huge topic and I know you have like a whole course about it, which I'll definitely um, get you to speak about and we'll pop links in the show notes at the end. But um, I want to, I want to like kind of quiz you about this body image avatar business. Um, sure. Although I think first we can, we'll just slot in a little segment. Um, are you ready for get pregnant and die? Don't have sex because you will get pregnant. And stop, 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 stop. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. 
just don't do it. Promise? Sure. <laughs> so this is just where I ask all my guests if they have a story or an anecdote about their sex education, where it failed them, what they might have wanted to learn more about, or, you know, if you just have a funny story about some super awful sex ed teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't have any funny stories. We had, um, I grew up in a upstate New York. So we had like, you know, sort of your average, um, conservative town. It wasn't abstinence based necessarily, but it was like very much scare tactics, like the sort of, uh, dare program of sex ed, um, like focused heavily on getting pregnant and STIs and mm-hmm. I don't know, just all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back, I mean, God, it needed so much improvement in so many different directions. But I will say that like nowadays, the language we have around gender, well, sexuality, first of all, the diverse sexual orientation options, like we had nothing about anything there. I think there was like maybe the tiniest bit of like, and some people are gay, I guess. Um, (laughs) So I just feel like I can't even imagine what my life would have been like if someone had like given me these containers sooner um, for my sexuality and for my gender. Because I'm like in my mid 30s figuring shit out now that like we really could have just saved a lot of time if somebody Mm. had just known to to teach these containers and this language and these concepts that we know now, I, I feel like my life would have been so different. So that's something I've been like sitting with a lot lately. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's such a massive one. So if if you feel like going into it a little bit, like I'm really curious about what you're grappling with at the moment in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality. I know it's a pretty recent thing, the pronouns. Yeah. yeah like where are you at with that? Um, yeah. So a couple of years ago, I started acknowledging like I had always known I was attracted to women, but dated men exclusively, like ha- had only ever partnered with men, um, mostly had only had sexual interactions with men, but sometimes with women that were like, you know, never, never truly intimate. It was like always for the male gaze or in a threesome situation. And it was just like it, basically anywhere I could like sneak in a little queerness without anybody <laughs> finding out is sort of what happened. And so a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, I get it. I'm by. There's a whole label for this. I can just go with that now. I can start dating women. But what happened instead is uh, I tried to date women and found so much internalized homophobia and so much confusion. And I did a lot of like being very scared. And, uh, you know, like if a pretty girl texted me back or something, I would freak out. I was just so like, (laughs) what is happening to me right now? And all the rules felt different. Like there was no information for me other than just like, you know, talking to other queer people that I knew. Um, there, There had been no, nobody had ever been like, oh, it's completely different to date women. I didn't, I don't even know how to explain how different it is, but it was so different, you know? So I just felt like an idiot for like uh, the entire time, basically. And then the, uh, I met my partner who also happens to be a guy. So I was like, okay, shit, but we're, um, we're sort of, uh, open and, and moving through this fluidly. But like he, um, yeah, he he supported from the beginning. Like I, I was very clear. I was like, I'm I'm not into partnering with another guy. Like I really want this experience. I want to have a girlfriend. Like I could imagine myself with a wife. Um, but you know, I just I didn't have all of my adult life to hone what that means, who I'm attracted to, how I want to interact, what the energy there is. And so I'm like still learning that. 
And I'm going to be just learning it into my 40s. Like, it's just going to take time. (laughs) And I just think like, gosh, this would have been so different if I had started this the same time I started thinking about what I was attracted Mm. to and wanted out of a relationship with a man. Oh my God, totally. It took me from the moment that I started jazzing people like in high school until relatively recently, like to really fine tune and hone in on like, what I wanted in a partner, how I related, how I communicated, like, you know, get the lay of the land and also just have lots of diverse experiences and information about yourself and about relating like through experience. I feel like there's just really no shortcut. There's no other way to do it, but like experiencing and getting out there and getting amongst it. And like, you must feel so ripped off that like you didn't start until quite late. I do. That's exactly what I feel. (laughs) I feel cheated. Totally. Literally all that I could do all through high school and college was like, you know, there'd be these little sort of um, uh, silly moments with like a girlfriend who'd be like, oh my God, what if we made out right now? And I'd be like, yes, I think we should do that. I would like (laughs) us to do that. I support that idea, you know? And they'd be like, oh wait, it wouldn't be so crazy, right? What if we did? I'm like, no, really? Like I would like, (laughs) like, Um, but it was always, and it's funny now because I actually know that quite a few of the women that I ended up in those situations with now identify as some form of queer, Uh, right? Like we were all feeling it and we just couldn't quite figure out how to step into it without like a complete identity crisis. It's just, it's so unnecessary. Oh, I know. It's heartbreaking. Oh, but I mean, good fucking on you. Better late than never. And also that you've got a partner <laughs> that supports, you know, that continued exploration. Cause you can't, you know, you, you've got to like, you got to explore it and like get certain things out of your system and try certain things before you can really just be like, yeah. okay, cool. Like I'm ready to just lock, lock myself into this one thing. It's like, yeah. you only just, just sort of found this world and you're on the cusp of some pretty Mm -hmm. exploration when you met your now partner. So like very, very, like, I'm very pleased to hear that he's, yeah, quite (laughs) flexible and and open. Uh, He's great. Exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. So something as simple as like, um, something I never thought about was the energy of like, who is bigger? You know, which of course, so many um, people that I've worked with, one of the big insecurities for women in larger bodies is I don't want to be bigger than my partner. Why? Because there's just a feeling about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some of it is fat phobia and some of it is like this energetic feeling mm. that we've been learned, we, we learn to associate with like being a woman in a straight relationship. Mm. So, you know, certain things like that where energetically who is more aggressive, you know, who initiates mm. sex more. Like we don't really break down for ourselves what we actually want across all spectrums when you're kind of locked into like a default. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'll be the smaller one because I happen to be a particularly small person. Like I'm not yeah. very tall, you know, so any man I dated was taller than me. I can't even imagine being taller than someone, but it's actually very appealing and kind of cool mm. to think of someone like, oh my God, what if I had a, you know, like energetically, what would it feel like to hold someone or, or sexually be with someone who is smaller than me? Mm. Um, you know, or, or what if I was, was sort of like, well, actually this doesn't seem that weird, but like plenty of, of people would say like, what if I had to be the one who initiated and that you're like, Oh my God, that would change everything about how I understand myself in that space. Like there's just so much that gets called into question. And I think that stuff is so interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I guess if you're just if you're just with men, you don't have an opportunity to really like 
to even reflect on any of that. Like I, I guess I always assumed for me, cause I'm, I'm pretty fucking straight. It's, it's very boring. I've actually lamented the fact that I'm like so <laughs> heterosexual. <laughs> um, but I, I think I was like, Oh, I think I like, I like the feeling of, you know, the partner being bigger than me and being able to like pick me up and manhandle yeah, me. And yeah. like, it's just a really beautiful, actually I was having this awesome experience the other night where um, we weren't having sex or anything, but my partner and I sometimes will just kind of like massage and roll around and like we'll take turns being the giver and like my absolute favorite thing in the fucking world is being just completely like just a rag doll, like totally surrendered and floppy, like full Mm. starfish and him Mm -hmm. just like, moving my limbs around and picking me up yeah, and like, like squeezing like get, I just feel like you know getting squoozed and um and it's just this <laughs> feeling of like I can completely surrender and he's got me and I'm yeah. held and in my mind I was like oh wouldn't it be cool if you know, you could, cause I was like, this, this sucks that I can't give him this experience. I'm just not physically big enough. Oh, enough. right. And I was like, fuck, like, cause you know, when I've like done massage and I do kahuna massage and zentai and, and it's quite like you move people around a lot, you, you know, they're floppy mm-hmm. and surrendered. And the beautiful part of it is just getting to like, yeah, I guess maneuver their bodies around and give them that experience of basically being a child and being like weightless. And I can do that for some of my female friends and it's really beautiful. And when I have explored with women, that is such a cool thing to play with, like that different um, balance. And I was like, oh, if only I could do that for him. Like there's not many people that would be big and strong enough to like fully give him this experience. You know, wouldn't it be cool if you could invent a machine that like was, was like a huge robotic person with like cushioned limbs and they could just like pick you up and move you around and like throw it like, you know, and then I was like, oh, and what about, you know, what about people who are quite overweight or they have a partner that's smaller than them and they don't get this experience of just being totally because in their head, they're like worried about their size and they're feeling right, larger. Yep. I've heard that a lot, like partners, female partners who have a male partner that's smaller than them that's a real, like that feels really shitty for yeah. a, a lot of the women I've spoken to are just like, oh, I just feel like, you know, they'll say like a whale or a heifer or something like this. And, you know, yeah. like I'm I'm squashing him when we have sex or whatever. And I'm like, oh, babe, yeah. you know, like it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was a 10. So something that can be really powerful, well, but it's so, well, I mean, it's just so interesting. One of the things that can be really powerful in those moments is to get super clear. Like this is where I would say there's probably blocks to neutrality because it may be true that a person like I've worked with women who are like, listen, I want a big ass Viking man to like (laughs) just be in charge. Right. And that's what I like. That's what turns me on. And I have this like wonderful, amazing partner who is not that, or I'm, I'm too big for us to have that dynamic or whatever. Mm. Um, And I think in these moments, it's so important to get super clear on what it is you're really looking for, like breaking down what would the, what would the Viking man offer you? Like what experience are you hoping for? Right. And because there's probably a lot of creative ways you could get more of that without changing the dynamic or the size Mm. or the partner. Mm. Um, Or maybe there's creative ways to change the partner, Mm. you know, and like get those experiences you want without having it interfere with your relationship boundaries Mm. or whatever. Um, you know, there's so many things you can really explore so that what you end up with is this neutral bit of information, which is like, I crave surrender. Um, somebody else's strength makes me feel safe. Mm. My partner and I have to be creative for me to get that. Mm. And that's not my preference. 
but like, you know what I mean? Like it just takes all the power away when you break it down like that. And you're like, oh, these are all manageable bits of information. Mm. But it that's not usually how it feels. It usually f- just feels like I'm a failure. This sucks. This is horrible. Something's wrong with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads pretty nicely into the the body image avatars uh, thing because I feel like there are creative ways once you recognize that maybe it isn't that you actually need physical strength to throw you around, but you do need to feel like you can surrender. You need to feel held. You need to feel safe and secure. So maybe energetically that person can like tweak the dynamic um, so that you're Mm -hmm. getting that or getting particular needs met. And yeah, I'd love to kind of speak a bit about I guess the underlying needs and reasons why people have body image issues or critical thoughts about their appearance yeah. um, in regards to your four body image avatars, if you could kind of, I know it's massive, sure. <laughs> but, you know, just give us a little <laughs> bit of a rundown, I guess. Yeah. Excuse this unseemly interruption, my darlings. I must ask a wee little favor of you. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings make it more likely to get recognized by the algorithmic gods and suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel pretty good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. Now, I promise I don't maz over them or anything like that. I mostly just read them out to Locke with a big grin on my face and he says something like, see, you're killing it. Proud of you, babe. And then I tuck it away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed. So, you know, doing this really does make a difference and is an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Well, now that would be kind of crazy. Crazy awesome, obviously. Like that would be super ideal. Would love that. If you're writing a review though, just be sure to only use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality and all that good stuff, the platforms censor words like sex and won't actually show your review lame. Anyway, oh, 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 you're going to do it right now while I wait? Oh, yeah. No, no. Awesome. Great. That's like, yeah, great idea. May as well just like quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, forget or whatever. I mean, life just kind of gets in the way sometimes. So, I totally agree. It would be best to just do it now while we're talking about it, you know, while, while we're on the topic. Totally, totally, totally. Yep. Oh, Oh, I can feel those five-star reviews rolling in. Mmm, fuck yeah. All right, all right. Well, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem, and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Love ya. So the avatars were born out of the patterns that I saw for like major umbrellas of of where a person's body image issues are coming from. Um, they were sort of the the first stab I took. Well, I mean, they've evolved, but like they came out of me taking a stab at saying, I think there are some pretty broad categories that if you look at them, include pretty much everybody. Um, from there, you have to get really specific because the category itself doesn't give you the information you need. But I like to think of it as sort of being able to place yourself on the body image map. Like you kind of know where to start digging once you've been able to place yourself. Um, and that's what the avatars are for. So the self-objectifier is the first one. 
and I sort of define them by the the relationship they have uh, with looking attractive. So it's always about attractiveness or desirability for the self-objectifier. Mm-hmm. And the point of attractiveness or desirability is to motivate others to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Now, from there, right, you've placed yourself on the map. You're like, okay, I think that's me. I am trying to motivate other people to give me what I want and need. The next question is like, okay, what do you want and need? Because until you know that, like you have to dive into the specifics to do anything about it. But that is where you start. Like there is a shared characteristic among all self-objectifiers that they, usually the things they feel insecure about are the things that they are afraid will block them from getting their needs met or keep them from getting what they want or keep them from accessing the life you know, that they want. Um, and getting really, really honest about what that means after you've placed that gives you information about what you need to do in order to put your body image issues out of business. Like, how do you make them unnecessary? Well, you get what you need or you deal with whatever the problem was that being attractive was supposed to solve, you know? Um, so basically with this, like you could totally resonate with all four. You could resonate with one. Most people have like a dominant one or two and then the, the others, like everybody can connect to all four of them a little bit probably. Um, this, the self-objectifier was one of mine. And the other one is the runner, which I'll get to. But, um, you know, I, I can certainly connect a little bit with all of them at different times. But like, I yeah. for sure look back at my life and I'm like, oh, yeah, self-objectifier. Like I was so focused on um, attractiveness being my key to everything, which includes some things it could be the key to and a lot of things it couldn't like feeling powerful in the world, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally, totally. So is that kind of um, also, I mean... I feel like I relate to that if it's, you know, looking at myself through and my version of attractiveness through how other people see me and wanting to appear attractive yeah. to other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about like the even the word attractive, like it literally includes a third party already because you're trying to attract something or someone. Oh my God. So yeah. there is that automatic third party and how the self-objectifier thinks about themselves, like their self-image includes a third party. Yeah. Wow. Totally. Yep. Can relate. Second party. Um, So with that in mind, also a lot of self-objectifiers are trying to secure stuff that would make sense for being attractive or desirable, which is like in the realm of sex, intimacy, partnership. So I'll hear a lot of women who will say like, I basically, when we really get down to it, they want to look hot enough that their partner never leaves them or never cheats on them. Or, you know what I mean? There's a feeling of relational security. Or if they're single, they feel like it's the only way they can find a partner. So there's a lot of stuff in there. So you got to get really clear on like, are you seeking, um, honestly, you could be seeking money, you know, opportunities or money or power. Like it doesn't have to be in the sexual or romantic space, but a lot of times it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the next one is the high achiever. And the high achiever is the one who is focused on using their body to prove their moral excellence to others and to uh, basically to get external validation and improve their social status. So it's all about making other people see them a certain way. Um, basically you could also say in the hopes of getting what they want out of life, but actually most high achievers are really seeking a feeling. So for the most part, the idea of like, I want to be seen as special. I want to be admired. Um, The high achiever tends to be terrified of being seen as lazy. Like they're usually really into discipline and hard work and, you know, all of these things. Like 
usually what they're actually seeking. Because if they got all of that social status, like what is what does it get you? Okay, everybody thinks you're amazing. Do you feel better? No, not really. Um, so what they're actually seeking tends to be something along the lines of like self worth, feeling worthy, mm-hmm. um, getting a feeling of existential purpose or meaning. Because you're like, I have a plan and I followed it, and it's yeah. right. So good. You know, that feeling of like proving to yourself that you're good. Um, They tend to be really drawn to a moral binary of like body control behaviors or dieting and that kind of stuff. So sometimes they're just looking for structure in their lives. Um, So yeah, so they're generally looking for an internal experience by essentially proving to everyone else that they're worth it Mm. in the hopes that somehow that translates and it doesn't Yeah, like almost ever. Does that one wind up in eating disorders most like commonly because it's about control? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot about control, but I would say that they end up in eating disorders that are focused on on wanting to be special, you know, wanting to be yeah. better than other people. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to be just good, right? For the high achiever, you have to be the best. And so if that means like I ate the least today and I'm the thinnest, you know, there there's this competitive edge to it for sure because it's all about being a sort of above mm-hmm. reproach. Yeah, wow. Yeah, totally. Um, the next one is the outsider and the outsider is trying to use their body either to secure social connections that they crave or to avoid, uh, sort of negative social consequences or disconnection. So you could say they're getting their needs for connection met one way or the other, but usually, um, a person falls into the category of like, they're trying to earn something like connection or belonging, or they're trying to avoid something like rejection uh, humiliation, criticism, abandonment, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the outsider tends to be like people pleasers because a lot of times they have learned that it is um, a prior, like they, they, they simply prioritize the relationships with other people over themselves. So they're, they often don't express themselves very well in the world. Or like if I ask, you know, what would authentic self-expression look like? They often won't have an answer because they're so focused mm-hmm. on what do other people want from me? How do I secure these relationships? Yeah, um, they tend to be super, super anxious and sensitive about being judged or rejected. Um, really, honestly, like a really warm, empathetic, and wonderful group of people, generally speaking, mm. uh, because they have been honing that skill for so long to come off, yeah, uh, to yeah, come off a certain way and earn that connection or avoid being, you know, being rejected. Yeah, I see that one a lot. I think that sort of people-pleasing, self-sacrificing, like empathetic mm-hmm. bent that, you know, is quite common in females, especially like that one. Yeah, that one comes yeah, up a lot sure. with my clients. And I mean, I, I can relate to all of them so far. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and for that one too, it's like, okay, so you've placed yourself, maybe you place yourself as an outsider. The next question is, uh, well, are you trying to earn something particular? And if so, is that something you can go forth and get more directly? So sometimes, like especially during the pandemic, I would work with people who are like, I'm so lonely. You know, it just came down to isolation. Mm-hmm. And it would be like the question of how do you how do you build community right now? How do you support yourself? How do you nourish yourself with relationships? Can you, you know, make FaceTime dates? Can you whatever it is? Because that is causing you to like stay distracted or stay you know, focused on body image stuff. And when you feel really nourished socially, you feel better. And on the other side of that is like, well, what are you avoiding? Can you build up your skill and competence in that space? Like, can you learn how to be rejected without it meaning something about you? Can you learn how to express yourself authentically 
knowing that people might not like it, but that the people who do like it are really going to connect with you. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of skills there that that often go into the healing process for, well, for each of them, but that's the stuff for the outsider. Yeah, amazing. Wow. Okay. So the fourth one. (laughs) (laughs) The fourth one is the runner. So uh, the runner is my other avatar. Uh, I would say at this point, I have very, very little self-objectifier left in me. Like it almost never comes up. The runner is always what I'm dealing with. If If I have a dysmorphic day, which occasionally happens, I can immediately be like, oh, I wonder what kind of horrible pain I'm in that I'm avoiding today. Um, so the runner's primary goal is to survive. The runner is focused on using their body, typically body control, to avoid or cope with pain and experiences they don't think they can handle. Mm. So control is a huge piece of the runner's experience. And the body is just a really, really fertile ground for if you want to numb and distract yourself and dial down uh, the volume on your feelings and disconnect from your body and cope, like there's just so many things available in the body image space. Mm. You know, you could starve yourself, you could binge, you could um, over-exercise until you feel kind of numb, you could uh, just obsess constantly and body check so that you never have to notice, oh wait, I am in pain right now, you know? So they are just trying to survive. And a lot of times um, they're seeking control because control gives them a feeling of being safe. And that means a lot of self-destructive and self-sabotaging behaviors that make them feel total shit about themselves because they're like, why can't I stop this? Mm. It's all the same thing. You know, these tend to be the same people who are maybe drinking more than they think is acceptable or smoking a lot of uh, marijuana or, you know, spending a ton of time scrolling on social media or shopping or, Mm. you know, any number of behaviors because they all serve the same purpose as body image stuff. They keep them from noticing or dealing with the pain that they're in underneath. Mm, Yeah. So like numbing themselves out and distracting themselves from like the emotional experiences that they're they're having. Yep. Yeah. And this is honestly probably some of the slowest work um, because, I mean, there's some skill building there, right? Like if you've never learned to feel your feelings... That might be part of your healing process if you're a runner, Mm. learning how to tolerate your feelings, learning how to be present in your body with your feelings so that they're no longer so terrifying that you have to avoid them. I mean, that's like, Mm. that could be years of therapy, you know, like that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. But that is also the way out because until you feel safe, knowing that you can just handle hard things when they come your way, um, you're always going to need an escape. And body image issues are just too convenient. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's kind of a miracle if anyone winds up free of <laughs> those things. Like I can relate right? to all four That's, and oh yeah. my God. <laughs> We're really up against it. That's we? exactly it. We're up against it. And I, I haven't even mentioned like media representation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's so much, but these are what I find to be the fundamental things because even if you like were exposed to all of the media in the world, if you didn't fundamentally come to believe that your value was based on your appearance, you know, that kind of thing, like Mm. it wouldn't necessarily matter. So each of these things is sort of boiling down and and they include all kinds of different factors. Mm. Um, Mm. But yeah, those are the four, the four major patterns that I see. 
Yeah. Wow. And I guess, yeah, like you're saying, the, those patterns are made so possible because of the fertile ground that, you know, that is already existing with all of the media stuff and the, the messaging and the conditioning yeah, that we get, you know, exactly. around. Oh my God. What a shit show. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck. And also, I will say, like, I think looking at it this way allows me at least to have a lot of gratitude for the many the many ways that my brain has helped me cope, right? Like I can look back and say, thank goodness I was able to feel powerful and get attention at a time that I needed to feel powerful and get attention. Mm. I did it using my body, which led to a whole bunch of other problems that I can now say, thank goodness I'm not in that place anymore. But they did serve a purpose, right? I needed to feel powerful. I needed to feel safe. And I was like chronically, uh, had an unmet need chronically for attention. So once I discovered, oh, wow, men will give me attention for how I look, you know, it it sucks and it caused me a lot of harm. But I can also see my brain having been like, oh, we can solve this problem for you. Like misguided, but also thanks, brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like it's, I mean, everything we do is it makes a lot of sense. Even if it's dysfunctional, it's still trying to protect us or mm-hmm. survive or like, you know, it, it serves a purpose. Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes not so much. But yeah, it is yeah. really interesting when you kind of pull it apart and you can reflect on that and be like, oh, okay. Like, wow. Yeah. I'm not totally crazy. Like there's, there's so many reasons right, exactly. why, you know, um, but yeah, that's why it's so cool that you've got these avatars in this framework because it just helps like drill down into the issue that I feel like would usually just be kind of understood on quite a quite a surface level because it's also just so painful yeah. and it, it is your suffering. So like it's not easy to then on your own start, yeah, like yeah. how did you, how, how did you figure all this stuff out and like actually come <laughs> up with the avatars and like you've got to be, you've got to like look at this stuff so well, so specifically but also just quite objectively I feel like to really get a proper read on what's going on. Like, how did you yeah. kind of get into all of this? Oh my God. Um, well, I came from the fitness industry. So I was a personal trainer. Um, oh, yeah. I worked in New York city. I worked with a lot of models. I basically worked with like, you know, the most conventionally attractive women on the planet. And yeah. we all had the same conversations as everybody else. And I just was like, Oh, okay. So clearly looking a certain way is not going to solve anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the real issue? And I became obsessed with finding out what the real issue is. So I've been just obsessing over this for like a more than a decade. Um, I really think though, like I, so I came to this work being like, oh, the issue is, and basically kind of ran the self-objectifier logic on people, Mm -hmm. which unsurprisingly now um, was pretty hit or miss. You know, some people Mm -hmm. it really resonated. It was able to really help people because some people were also self-objectifiers, but a lot of people it didn't help. And I was like, what the hell? Why is this not working? Mm -hmm. So I think just having worked with enough people and obsessively like, you know, I read um, constantly and I, yeah. you know, I, I'm constantly like thinking about it and pulling together um, the experiences that I've had with clients and things and, and looking for patterns. So yeah. there came a point where I was like, oh, okay, like I can acknowledge that there were ways in which I maybe was a, a high achiever or something, but that was never my, f- my fundamental root cause, but it is for a lot of my clients. Yeah. And likewise, yeah. the other, the other ones, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, cool. it was really just that. Yeah obviously totally destined to be doing this work like yeah that's that's amazing just organically came about through like your own fascination with it and 
Yeah. Oh, love it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to make a little detour. I just had a thought. I remember they, um, a post you did. I just feel like, you know, it's like slightly off topic, but it, it, I think it would be really fucking helpful for people to hear. Um, if, you know, we talk a little bit about BMIs, like body mass index, because I, I really love this mm. post you did about like, it's just such a bogus measure of health and I cannot yeah. help, but yeah, like ask you to basically like dish us up the content of that post so that we can <laughs> categorically inform people just what a crock of shit it is because, yeah, I mean, I know like we were taught about that in health class back in school and that totally set up so many poor teenagers in my class to feel like crap. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely been very problematic for so many people and how they feel about their body and their weight. So, yeah, can you just like debunk that for us? <laughs> Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can also buy some dope merch from my website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. Or if fashion isn't your passion, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which I actually call Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. Um, so you can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. Every bit helps, because it's not cheap to put out a sweet podcast into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me financially in this way. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself, which is at this early stage in double L history, just the spare bedroom at my house. <laughs> anyway, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Later. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. Uh, sure. So the BMI, it is it is peddled now as like a legitimate measure of health. Like that's how you'll hear it talked about by really scientific people, which sort of surprises me um, mm. continuously other than the fact that we live in a, a very fat phobic world. So I guess it shouldn't, but um, it was basically created by this dude in the 1800s who was looking at like, um, you know, big scale population models. So it wasn't a doctor. I think he might've even been like a mathematician or something really random. Um, and, and was basically just like trying to look at who is what, right? He was looking for huge patterns in the population. He was not looking for anything related to health, uh, when he came up with it. Mm -hmm. And it was based on research done only with a bunch of white guys and, uh, therefore doesn't take into account literally anything else, you know, uh, gender, age, race, uh, you know, natural human diversity of being people, um, like where fat is stored, all that stuff. And therefore it completely inappropriate class, inappropriately classifies a whole bunch of people. Like it, it says you're wrong just because it wasn't studied on actual diverse bodies, which is just problematic right there because anything that stigmatizes someone um, is bad for their health. So if we're using this thing and it's, it's allegedly like <laughs> having to do with people's health, like that just should have been outruled for that reason alone. Um, but then beyond that, like it changed utterly arbitrarily in the nineties, in late nineties, I think um, the BMI classifications were arbitrarily changed overnight 
so that um, because of a pharmaceutical company also, like a company that sells weight loss drugs basically said, hey, we think you should lower this. And so they did. Oh my God. And overnight, a whole bunch of people became overweight. A whole bunch of people became obese because they lowered the threshold for those categorizations, mm. which is just the most preposterous. Mm. Again, like we're talking about people in the medical field following these things that was bunk from the beginning and then just got more bunk from there. And it doesn't make any sense. Um, because the moment you, you have a screening with like a patient and you're like, oh, look, you're overweight because of this arbitrary chart we use, that patient now feels worse about themselves mm-hmm. and is actually less likely to take good care of their bodies mm-hmm. than they would have because stigma has a negative impact on health outcomes. So like if you wanted anybody to improve their health, you would throw the BMI the BMI away immediately and never use it again. But unfortunately, it is still being used by doctors in the medical field constantly as um, allegedly a way to help people improve their health by warning them that they're too fat. It's just oh absurd. God. It's so archaic. It's such a crock of shit. My God. And like, yeah, you know, it also, really is. Even if oh, it's just problematic in so many ways, but like, you know, being fat or thin actually does not tell us much at all about our levels of health or activity. So like, yeah, you know, even if, yeah, it's just, it's a bit of a joke. It is. And I think like there is a sort of natural, understandable desire to know where there's some kind of cutoff. Am I safe? Am I healthy? Am I not healthy? Do I need work? But, but we're just wrong. We're, we're using the wrong program for it. We're going about it the wrong way. Um, it would be a lot more helpful if people focused on behavior rather than mm. body size, because mm. at any size, you can improve your health by changing your behaviors, mm. right? Like you don't actually have to lose any weight to get healthier. If you go from sedentary to active, you're going to get healthier. Your mm. blood work's going to improve. You're going to feel better. Yeah. You know, so why aren't we talking about that stuff? That would actually be yeah. health serving. And instead we're talking about these arbitrary categories, like it doesn't make sense. I know. It's just ridiculous. Like weight, yeah, has fucking nothing to do with it because there's also like muscle and fat and then visceral fat. But if you were really like really, if you actually cared about figuring out levels of health and being able to give people guidance, you know, where needed, then you'd be looking at like levels of activity, movement, exercise, and also like what are they eating, you know? Um, How much sleep are they getting? How much stress are they under? Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) It is. But also when I was a personal trainer, like it was a big joke because every single trainer I knew was categorized as like overweight or obese, even though they were like the leanest, most jacked people on Mm -hmm. earth because it just doesn't take that into account. Yeah. So like that right there should tell you something, you know? And also the look that every woman I've ever worked with um, in the fitness industry, like every woman wanted to get to, um, like basically they wanted to look under underweight according to the BMI, right? Yeah. It's like, if it were even about health, if this thing were even real, then they'd be striving for healthy, but actually they wanted to be below that number yeah. because that's what looks skinny, you know? Yeah. 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 Ugh, yeah. What a mess. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's time for the segment TMI. We love it. And this is, yeah, this is where I give people an opportunity to share a story that is usually considered too much information for public. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You don't have to participate, but if you do have a TMI story for us, then let us have it. (laughs) 
You know, I actually really struggled with this because I'm so open about stuff on my, like in my writing and on my podcast and everything that I was like, what haven't I shared? Um, I came up with, and I think is appropriate here, uh, that I started um, psych meds. So I started antidepressants uh, about a year ago. It's been this whole very, very irritating journey, very long and slow journey of trying to find the right meds for me. Um, But one of the things I discovered was uh, that on Prozac, when I started it, my orgasm completely disappeared out of nowhere into thin air. And uh, it was just the most bizarre experience and also one of the most depressing experiences that I ended up feeling. I was so embarrassed by this, but I had to talk to my provider and be like, do I feel better? Yes, significantly. However, I'm so sad that I can't come anymore (laughs) that actually it's not worth the lifting of depression because it's just driving me into this place. Like I am, you know, I was trying to, you know, enjoy like being newly engaged and like the one source of joy in my life was sex with my partner was so good. And I was like, you want me to trade my favorite thing to feel better? And it's just, it was so depressing. I felt like it just felt like such a cruel injustice. I can't even tell you how hard it hit me. And so we switched meds and then, you know, switched meds again and any number of different side effects. But um, it, it came back, but it's definitely different now on different meds. It's like available, but different, maybe a little slower to get to a little bit more, um, you know, mysterious than it used yeah, to be. Elusive. But having worked so hard to get to a place where I could access it, the thought of it disappearing, just, I was like, I can't, I can't no, live thanks. like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, just no, that trade off. No, not acceptable. Yeah. Gosh, I'm glad you've you've figured it out at least now then. Fuck, it sounds like a bit of a, yeah, a grueling journey. Well done. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. That's a vulnerable thing to share. I think that, you know, even just, even just mental health issues and medication are so stigmatized. Um, And I've actually got a woman coming on the podcast to talk about depression and mental health issues and sex and relationships. So Mm. that's, yeah, I'm excited about that one because just all of this stuff, it's like, you know, it needs to be talked about more. So, and that's, that's what the segment's about. So perfect. You nailed it. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Uh, So just before we wrap up, I'm really keen to leave listeners with like some, I guess, like little manageable, achievable tips or tools or like first steps that they could take um, Mm. when it comes to, you know, starting to work on body image challenges and move towards, yeah, like enjoying some nice chill body neutrality. Um, where would one start with this stuff? Mm. So nobody likes this answer, but truly um, the first thing I think people need to do is accept and even embrace the fact that they are struggling with body image or that they don't like how they look. Mm. Because the first layer we can do something about is is taking some of the pressure off to be not to not be in a different place, you know, because people are like, I hate this. I hate this. I've been struggling. I hate my body. It's so miserable. I want it to be over. And I'm like, yes, and we will move that direction. But today your only job is to say, it's okay that I'm struggling. Mm. Like it really is. It makes sense. And by rejecting it the way that we tend to do and being like, oh, I just need to stop obsessing over this or whatever, you know, you're just adding to the shame. You're adding to the pressure. It just makes things worse. So own it. You're like, I'm a person who hates my body today and that's okay. I am struggling with body image issues and that's okay. I am miserable and that's okay. You know, like it's the first step is really just to let that in and let that be okay. And then from there, 
it's a lot easier to start getting curious. And the curiosity should be applied to, I wonder how this is serving me. I wonder why my brain wants me or needs me or thinks I should sh- should be suffering over body image. I wonder what it's doing mm-hmm. and what problem it's trying to solve for me. And that's where you start to dig. Because that's going to that's gonna give you the information. If it's trying to earn you a feeling of control in the world, that's what you look at. If it's trying to find you a great partner, that's what you look at. You know, wherever that journey takes you, and obviously this is the kind of work I do in a bigger picture, but like you start looking at, I wonder what this might be doing to try to help me. And there's always an answer. People are like, it doesn't help me. It makes me miserable. I'm like, okay, then great. Why do you think it might want you to be miserable? How is that serving you? Sometimes the answer is like, Literally just because it keeps me from living too big. Mm. You know, like even just being miserable can sometimes serve us. Yeah. Wow. It's deep work. It's confronting shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I know. And I'm sorry, those aren't like quick and easy tips, but that's where I recommend starting at least. Yeah. It's, I mean, with this stuff, it is never a quick and easy fix. Like I get that with my work too. People come to me and they're like, okay, cool. Like fix me. Give me, you know, like (laughs) is like all about those band-aid solutions and the quick fixes and gratification. So now we're like expecting that shit can just be like sorted out for us. And Mm -hmm. it's just never the case. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not as, I mean, it might be simple, but it's never easy and quick. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, I think like, that's why I was like, okay, so like first steps, that's, that's, that's probably as much as this podcast can, um, you know, has the capacity to cover. And then obviously I would really encourage people to check out your work. And I know you've got some courses around starting to like explore and understand the avatars and, you know, I'm guessing there's like maybe journal prompts or like little um thought sort of s- things that spark a bit of like inquiry within ourselves that, you know, yeah. give people to do. Um, yeah. So do you want to just talk a little bit on what you are offering and how your s- sort of work, your services and offerings can help yeah. you? Um, so I'm actually, I'm running the avatars project now. I don't know when I'll run it again. It is a live program at the, at the moment. Someday I think I will try and put it together into a self study so that people will just be able to like sign up and go through the material at their own, Mm. uh, you know, rate. Um, but as of right now, I would say, um, you know, the only way to work with me right now is either private or group coaching, which I sometimes run group coaching, um, and you can find all that information at my website, jessineeland.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I'm writing my book, I'm, I'm doing very little of even that. So yeah. uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. people can reach out and uh, someday I'll have things to offer again. Um, but yeah, coaching is pretty much the way I do it. T- typically, I love group coaching. So I will always continue to try to make group programs and things like that available. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the majority of what I do is private one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And I mean, I, I honestly, like just going to your Instagram page and reading, like going back through and just reading all your posts, like that would be enough to basically like, it feels like having a therapist, you know, like all of that stuff. If you just I love like, that. if you can't do anything else and you know, the beauty of that is it's also free, it's accessible. You can do it in your own time. Yeah. But I would say like, yeah, what you were ta- what you were saying about how we feel about how we feel like that being so important. Mm -hmm. And that sounds really like meta, but yeah, that that's sort of like across the board that I teach that in my, you know, sexuality Mm -hmm. education and coaching as well. Like, you know, if you're feeling self-conscious, if you're feeling 
shitty and lack of confidence or you're not able to orgasm with a partner or whatever. And then, so that's already shit. And then you feel yeah. like a failure as a fucking woman. <laughs> like a or failure. A partner, or, you know, yeah. you're just like disempowered by that or you're like, what's fucking wrong with me? My body's shit. You know, like all of these other yeah. feelings that you have about the initial issue, those are the damaging things. So the acceptance yep. that actually just mean like, okay, I don't like my body. I have an issue with body image this is shit but it's okay like the acceptance about that and stop like stopping judging yourself because like you know as we were saying it would be an absolute miracle if you'd wound up going through (laughs) life without (laughs) collecting a plethora of body image challenges and a fuckload of suffering so you know that's so normal. It's understandable. Yeah. There's a lot of explanations for that and it's okay. That's a great first step. And then I think like, you know, something I'm often telling people is, you know, the input that we're, you know, the stuff that we're putting into our brains, what we're taking in. So media, books, um, you know, conversations yeah. we're having, like the kinds of people that we follow on Instagram and the kinds of just anything we allow into our brains all has a huge impact and if you start mm-hmm. getting quite like discerning about that and quite selective about that um just totally like cutting out all the shit that makes you feel like crap or insecure or inadequate or unworthy and then you know yeah. even if you can't fully cut that out because i know we're bombarded with it from all angles no matter how hard we try you can bolster up the other side of it and start um yeah like actively and deliberately and intentionally consuming content and putting yeah positive input in. So like your Instagram account, for instance, like that is a fabulous way to start just like getting the Mm. good. It's like eating your fucking vegetables, but for your brain, like getting that nutrition, (laughs) getting different perspectives, getting validation and reassurance and like, Hey, you're not broken. You're normal. It's totally okay. Like that's going to help you get to that place of acceptance and then start actually digging in and understanding what's going on for me here. So yeah, I think like, you know, such a good resource, (laughs) just a huge, huge plug for your work. (laughs) Also, by the way, I have a podcast called, um, this is not about your body. And I also have a YouTube channel. So I have free content everywhere and an email. I send out an email every Tuesday to my email list. So like people can fill their feeds with (laughs) this kind of content if they want. Um, and, and I agree. I think it's so important what we consciously consume, you know, can have a huge impact. And I like to think of it sometimes as like, if you can't be a part of a community who is like-minded and, you know, um, weight neutral or positive and, you know, accepting of all these things, then go get yourself a community in the form of a bunch of people you haven't met on the internet who agree with you, yeah. like, or maybe yeah. don't agree with you, but like can help push you that way, you know? Totally. Totally. I mean, that is one of, there are a lot of drawbacks to technology and the internet, you know, <laughs> but that is a really huge gift that it gives us because, yeah, community, it's so important and finding resources like that to consume. And yeah, just really, really like can't, can't emphasize enough how that can slowly start to shift your attitude and your thinking and your perception. Um, because we are, we're just kind of a product of like all the things that we consume and the people we spend time with and all of that. And if you're not getting, you know, getting your veggies Mm. (laughs) in day to day, then yeah, get online, listen to Jesse's podcast, the YouTube channel, all of that stuff. Obviously my podcast, if you're listening to this, you're on the right fucking track. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's 
fab, fabulous. This has been amazing. Thank you so <laughs> much, Jesse. I'm so glad I asked you to be. Thank you for here. having me. I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm. I'm already. I've got like so many. Ugh, I feel like a follow up episode in the future is definitely on the cards if you'd be open to it because I've got so many more. Sounds good. Questions, but um, yeah. Are there any parting words or messages that you'd like to leave our listeners with that might be reassuring or helpful to hear? I mean, you've done a very good job already, but part of my jingle is like, <laughs> don't worry, don't panic, you're not broken. And so I like to just try to leave people with a little Oh my like, gosh, hey. that's so good. I was literally just thinking like, you're normal is I guess what I would say. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it sounds like they already know that from you. It just applies <laughs> here as well. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I'll put all the links to Jesse's work uh, in and resources in the show notes. And yeah, also don't forget to join the Labia Lounge Facebook group because that's where I kind of put little um, bits and bobs from from different guests that I've had, any like resources or offerings or discount codes and just discussions as well. Um, speaking of, you know, finding a bit of community, that is, that's a community I'm trying to build and create where you can go and it's a safe space and it's, it's you know, quite a positive influence I'd like to think so um but yeah thank you so much for taking the time to come and have a chat with me in the lounge Jesse thank you for having me bye-bye and that's it darling hearts thank you for stopping by the labia lounge your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double l action next time and in the meantime if you'd be a dear and subscribe share this episode or leave a review on itunes then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that my dear is a downright act of sex positive feminist activism And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.